thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Here we are again, Liberty listeners, and this time we get to hear from Hannah Lim of La La Land. Um, Hannah it was kind enough to invite us into her actual warehouse, so this is we're feeling pretty special today. And at some point, we're hoping to hear from her business partner. I'm going to keep that a secret until he makes his way in here. But um, Hannah, why don't you tell us a little bit about La La Land? Sure. So. Lala Land as a company, we manufacture um, children's products that we like to say are functional, but really fun. So branding wise, we really focus on bright colors, um, things that are kind of modern, simple, offer something different to that parent who's looking for non-licensed material, perhaps Um, just something really chic, fun, colorful. Where were you 12 years ago when I needed you? Um, No, and it's true. We've even seen it walking through the warehouse. Like everything feels, uh, it's an extension of the brand of what you see on the site. I feel like all the products match that. They are fun, they're whimsical, and they do have sort of a modern sensibility, which is, I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit more about how you got to that. Um, So back up a little bit. I know that you were a teacher, right? Yep. Before you launched into this entrepreneurial thing. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you decided to be an entrepreneur and was it fueled by um, a decision, a lifestyle decision, or was it because you you invented this sort of Lala brand and wanted to kind of, you know, back that up by, by becoming an entrepreneur? Okay. So I was indeed a chemistry teacher prior to getting married and having kids. And my husband and I had been dating since we were, I, since I was 12. So we've had a long relationship. So we had kids as soon as we got married. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, we need to have a honeymoon (laughs) period. We've done that. (laughs) So, um, I quit teaching once I got pregnant. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think I just thought like, I'm having a baby. I need to stop working. And I honestly can't remember why. Um, And I thought I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Well, I can now say that I had postpartum depression, but I didn't know it at the time. I was just miserable. Like I didn't, I don't know. I wasn't enjoying motherhood as much as I thought I would. And so... Mark, on the other hand, was like working. He was going to business school, networking after and like living this amazing life. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. Right. Yeah. What's so, happening here? <laughs> I, um, I sort of came up with this idea. I, it wasn't necessity per se. I wasn't yeah. like, okay, I need to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a business. I was just at home one day and I'm like, you know what? This sippy cup thing is killing me. Like my first daughter was one of those kids that just hit every milestone late and she just could not figure out the damn sippy cup. So I thought, okay, can we just make a simple cup? She can drink from a straw at a restaurant. Like what is the deal here? So I figured out that all these baby cups have spill-proof valves, which are great for mom, but actually really difficult for kids. 
So I said, Mark, you know what? I'm going to I think I can design a pretty cool sippy cup. Like I just want to have a straight straw, everything that eliminates challenges for parents to clean and eliminates challenges for the kids. And he's like, you know, like I really want to do business too. I want to do a business. So if you flesh out the idea at home, I'm going to keep doing my thing. And when I graduate from business school, if we really genuinely feel like this is a good idea, let's just go you know, go for full it. force. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and from this early concept idea to actually getting a sample of the sippy cup you had envisioned in your hand, what, how long was that? Probably 18 months. Okay. So it took a while. Are you, yes. were you surprised at how long it took or w- did you know that going in that this was going to take some time? Um, I knew it going in because I wasn't like stepping away to an office to work on right. it. Like it was really... And when, there was no urgency, it sounds like. Yeah, You're like, oh, yeah. I have this idea. Let exactly. me put it together. I mean, it wasn't until I really was like, okay, I'm going to do this and I think I can that I was, I started getting super excited about it, being a little more aggressive with my timelines. Um, and also I'm one of those girls that likes to do things by the book. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I need to write a business plan and I need to do this. And that's what I did. I wrote like a 35-page business plan prior to doing anything. Whereas now I see these high school kids starting a business like on a a napkin. On the back of a napkin, literally. (laughs) The very first business plan um, I ever wrote was, we killed lots of trees. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember as soon as it was done, somebody said to me, I was at this entrepreneur, we were living in New York at the time, I was at this entrepreneurial like cocktail party. And I was very proud of the fact that we had written, my business partner and I had written (laughs) this plan. And the guy said, well, congratulations, you just wrote a book that's dead. And I didn't quite get what he meant. And later realized it's no longer a living document. The marketing plan that we had wrote about didn't exist. Like, Technology was happening so fast or changing so fast that what we thought we were going to do, what we had painstakingly wrote about, (laughs) we could just throw out the window. So while I think a plan of action is necessary, I'm not sure a 35-page plan is always necessary. Now, you were in manufacturing and you had to create a product that needed to go out of your hands to be made. So how much of that business plan was because of a product-based company? Like how much of that was necessary? I think when you do have a product-based company, you're right. You you do need that business plan. And I, I tell people, and I still recommend to entrepreneurs who are going into some a space similar to mine yeah. to write the business plan because it served me well for several reasons. So one was um, the first time I tried to apply for a small business loan yeah. at a bank, they were like, where's your business plan? Had I not had one, I would have been laughed out the door. Yeah. Um, the second one was when I started to approach manufacturers. I remember distinctly remember the manufacturer who we now work with and have worked with for the past five years. He said, you know, we get a lot of, quote, inventors in here, but you actually had a business plan, a solid marketing plan, a solid foundation Financial, for funding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and that was a first for us because we get a lot of people coming in here saying, I have this idea and it's not fleshed out at all on paper. So it did open doors. Okay. So I think we'll we'll get back to that maybe on the second half of this interview okay. because I think that's a really important distinction. There are many businesses that would say to you, the the business plan wasn't necessary and 
many others who will talk about the financing piece of it and saying, I could not have advanced right. uh, the business had I not had that. And now you're adding this other level of the manufacturing part. So I want to get back to that in a bit. Um, now, did you guys, did you and Mark think about having, Mark is your husband, I think you said that earlier. Did you guys think about, is this going to be a good idea for us as a husband and wife? Like, you had this idea, he was coming out of business school, let's go for it, we're in love, everything's awesome. <laughs> but did you have a sort of sit down, like, can we do this? Do our personalities lend to this sort of partnership? Absolutely, we had that. Um, so Mark and I both come from immigrant families whose parents always work Shout together. To immigrant families, <laughs> me too, yeah. Um, you know, our parents they all work together towards like one vision. And, and I never thought that that would be me for some reason. Like hmm. even, I think it's actually my dad instill. He's like, the only reason I'm working so hard and sending you to good schools is because I don't want you to yeah. basically be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, anyway, going back to answering your question, Mark and I had this sit down. So he did graduate from business school. He had this MBA and he's like, you know, I really think you're kind of onto something and I really want to try it too. But let's have this hard discussion because it's not going to be easy. Um, we're putting a lot on the line here. We have zero financial security. Um, we're both going to be full time on this. We're going to be parenting together, we're married, and now we're working together. So let's be realistic about like what this is going to do to our relationship. Um, and how many of the girls were born at this point? Two. Sophia okay. was maybe two months old. Okay. Wow. So Because okay. they're 18 months apart. Yeah. So that time frame from when we really decided to yeah. go for it, they were young. <laughs> okay. So when you sat down, what were the things that you felt like you had to really consider before you guys could say, we're going to do this as partners, as a married couple? I think Mark and I have a very, like I said, we've, we've been dating for so long that we just know we have a solid relationship. Mm -hmm. So that part, I think we both kind of knew, like we're not going to let something like a business venture break us apart. And that was sort of done, set to the side. The other part was just, I think it, we were very realistic. And like if, if money becomes an issue and we are suffering it's going to put a strain on our relationship, our kids, our lives. So that's where we had the really tough talk was how much are you willing to endure? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, and we both said like, well, you know what? Like buying a home is not our top priority. Like yeah. if we can raise good kids, um, have a solid marriage and maybe start an, an awesome company, like why not? We're yeah. young. Um, I could always go back to teaching. I think chemistry teachers are probably in high demand, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and, good ones are. Good uh, yeah. ones are, which you, which you are. So, um, yeah, I think there was a little bit of that kind of safety net in, in, in that Mark and I both knew we could go back to a 9-to-5 job if we needed to. So obviously you guys had a sense of what your financial sort of tolerance was, but what about in terms of roles? What would you do? What would he do? And maybe even in the early days, did you know, were you just on top of each other doing like, okay, we're, we're tag teaming for everything? Um, yeah, let me ask that piece first. Yeah. Okay. No, I think that was one good thing is we both know each other's strengths. And right away it was like, 
okay, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. And we both said, yeah, done. <laughs> like okay. It was actually really easy. It was because, very clear. Um, Mark was like, look, I'm not the one making product decisions for our household. I don't know what to buy for our daughters. Like I'm leaving all of the product stuffed up to you. Um, the branding, the marketing, everything is going to be you because it's just not my space. Like if you want to talk about a basketball team, like there, I'm there, but this is not in my wheelhouse. So, um, I took that on and, and he also, I ended up taking on customer service as well. Cause he said, I just can't relate sometimes when a frantic mom calls sure. and her cup's broken. When, yeah. And, and, and that's true. who's going to be, it's not, you're not manufacturing like some sort of car engine where, exactly. I mean, you're going to get calls from mothers for the most part. In fact, do you ever get calls from dads? Um, I've had maybe one in the past five, six years. That's amazing. That, wow. Okay. I mean, it's, that's a whole I don't other know. Yeah, podcast. that's a whole other, yes, whole other discussion. <laughs> we'll save that for later. <laughs> yeah. So you guys had pretty a pretty clear understanding of who was going to take on what mm-hmm. early on, which I think is probably really important. It's hugely important. And I think one thing is that we really stuck to it. Like when, when I was like, Mark, you're in charge of finances, production, like what we can buy when. And Yes, I'm involved in the discussion, but I always defer to him for the final answer. And he does the same when it comes to a marketing or advertising decision or something. Sure. Any times where you've had to say, okay, 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 back off a little bit. That's my territory. Not really. In fact, sometimes I think we both now are trying to be a little more collaborative. Okay. Um, Whereas before we really defined our roles and stuck to that, but you know, now in year six, we're kind of like, well, maybe it would serve us better to. Yeah. Or, or even just to make decisions about product based on finances. Like that's a conversation that you're both going to need to engage in. And then to what degree do we change designs or do we expand the line based on what our bottom line, we want our bottom line to look like. So it makes sense that those would. And then also I think understanding both sides of the business, like you guys are in charge. Of everything. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to, to make sure that, God forbid, anything happens, you're responsible for other employees, and obviously you have the kids. And so being able to step into his role and vice versa, Mark stepping mm-hmm. into your role is probably just a safety net thing, I would imagine. Is Absolutely. That, is that right? No, I okay. think that's totally true. And, okay. and Mark actually had to do that. So um, I, I was pretty sick for almost two years and can you tell us a tiny bit about that? How, sure. How do you feel I mean, about that? yeah, no, I, thankfully I'm fully yes. recovered yeah. and I, it's, it's an odd sort of long winded story, but the long and short of it is that, um, it started as childhood eczema and my doctors just kept prescribing me steroid creams and it just got stronger and stronger over the years. And I didn't think twice about using them because I thought, well, if it's prescribed by a physician, I better this use it. This is what it. I'm supposed to do. Right. Well, it's almost like my skin, my whole body got addicted to these steroids. And I found this one doctor who was like, you know, you really should just try this cold turkey withdrawal. And I think it's going to be hell for a few years because your body is like dependent on this, but it'll serve you better for the rest of your life. And I, we took that leap of faith and I did it. And Sure enough, it was terrible for two years. I could barely wear clothing. I had raw skin from head to toe. A lot of my hair fell out. And Mark took over the business and basically our family life. I actually, for months at a time, went to live with my parents because I couldn't even care for the kids. Yeah. So 
you know, that's, it's a struggle when you, I don't know, your family life and your personal yeah. life and your work mesh together. Yeah. It's On one hand, <laughs> I can imagine our listeners saying, oh, she didn't have to quit her job. She didn't have to. I mean, Mark could pick up the pieces. On the other hand, mm-hmm. um, you're 50% of this company and the weight that's put not only on him, but on you even emotionally. It's like, oh my gosh, right. our, in- our entire life is hinged on this thing working out. So... Um, the, the pressure was great, but I know, cause I know that story. Um, it's such a testament of both you guys and your relationship and your family and your ability to overcome that. And I think again, for most listeners that entrepreneurship, um, can seem like the thing that life is all about when in fact life continues to happen and, um, things that you can't foresee come into being. And it's really, the resilience isn't just resilience in the business. The resilience is often resilience outside of the business that affects the business. And that I think is a perfect example of that. And we're glad that you're well and your skin is beautiful. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about, because I'm really interested in the manufacturing part. We don't have a ton of examples or I don't have a ton of examples. Um, I should say, of women who've entered manufacturing and with a husband in tow. And the reason that's interesting to me is I'd like to know a little bit about if you've seen the difference. So first, what's it like to be in that space? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also curious, did your education and your career as a chemistry major, has that helped you in, in making some of these products? Because I know you're really careful about what goes into the products. Mm-hmm. So maybe answer that first. I asked you three things. That yeah. wasn't fair. <laughs> okay. So the first, um, yes and no. It, the only thing the chemistry has helped me with is sort of understanding what all these harmful chemicals are. Um, and in the testing aspect you know, all our products go through rigorous third-party lab testing after manufacturing and just understanding those reports and knowing what those mean. But, you know, it's not, it's not my everyday. I'm not the one, um, you know, going to a big warehouse to select the plastic pellets. I just say, I need an FDA approved polypropylene. And these are the standards that I'd like to meet. And, and and you're able to you were able to understand that world pretty quickly, um, in terms of okay, again a listener's out there and says I want to make a plastic product for kids. So mm-hmm. there's a, a whole added layer here uh, in terms of safety, and the fear of um, anybody coming after you um, oh, yeah. for any litigation. So. What, where's your go-to? Do you go to a trade show? Do you identify with a manufacturer and sort of have them train you in what you should be looking for? Like, what's that, what was that process like early on? I know now it's probably old hat, but. No, I think, um, let's see. I wouldn't defer to those types of things on a manufacturer or a salesperson even, Um, even today we go to a trade show and we, we get hit up by plastic salesmen all the time. I'm sure. Like this is the newest material. This, um, I mean, when you would, if you wanted to 
manufacture your cup in this material. It would look like glass. It's beautiful. And there's, yes, you can get swayed by that. But for me, I'm kind of like, let's stick with the tried and true. Because yes, there are these amazing plastics out there that are new to the market. But I don't know what health ramifications are going to happen in 10 years. They're brand new. right? And um, so I, I think... You know, for example, with our Lala cup, it has a clear body. Yeah. And I just, polypropylene is one of those plastics that's been around for ages. It's never contained BPA. And yes, it may look a little cloudy and it's not, you know, break proof per se, but I know it's safe. Yeah. You know, we've been, my, our parents have been using it and we're all okay. And so that's why we defer to those types of materials. So when we can. So so for somebody who's starting out, it's really kind of identifying what is it that you're creating. Um, if it in fact is for children, safety comes first, and really relying on what you know and mm-hmm. not be cutting edge maybe in your design or your marketing, exactly. but not in the use of product. Um, I think that's a, it's a really important place for people to start. What do you wish that you would have known? Like, what would you go back and say six years ago? Gosh, if only we knew this, it would have saved time, money, anxiety, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> that's a loaded <laughs> question because if I had known what I know now, I'm not even sure that I would be manufacturing some of the products we do. Yeah. Because, um, You know, the first product I came up with was a plastic sippy cup with seven parts. And I really did want to be cutting edge with the design. And I hired a really awesome industrial design team to help me realize that vision. And manufacturing it was extremely expensive. Um, We spent about $100,000 on our first set of molds. So before I could even have one sample real working cup in my hand, we had to spend $100,000 on the steel molds um, alone. So it's a very, manufacturing is a very expensive space, especially in plastics. I think garment, um, jewelry even, like there are other items that can be manufactured at lower cost. require that sort of overhead. But plastics manufacturing is another animal. And for something that (laughs) contains food. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so th- whether you know it or not, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for, for the listener is if you're considering going into some sort of manufacturing, maybe you need to really understand your appetite for spending money early on before Absolutely. there's any opportunity for revenue. Yes. Okay. And to piggyback on that, we had about prior to going on Shark Tank and getting yeah. that Which money, we're talk but... About, yeah. Um, we started with a hundred thousand dollars and a fifty thousand dollar small business loan, so one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And knowing what I do now, I I wish that initial chunk of money we had to spend was five hundred thousand because I think we would have got to where wherever marker X Y Z faster had we just had the capital. So spending more money sooner. Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm going to ask you something because that sounds counter to what most people starting out will, although I think you're right. And Mm -hmm. people who've been in business for a long time will say that I needed to get there faster. We needed to get our audience to know we existed sooner, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever the thing is. Um, 
How do you recommend, and maybe we'll just go into our Shark Tank piece right here, question here, but how do you recommend people get, I mean, how could you have gotten that $500,000 sooner? Would you have, there was nothing to leverage. You Mm -hmm. had an idea. Would you have um, brought in investors early on and had them take a share of the company sooner than you maybe were prepared for? Like, where would you recommend people go? Oh, man. Yeah, it's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Because even if someone today told me to come up with that money, I, you know, I don't know the right answer. So take everything with a grain of salt. But um, I think doing, gosh, this is such a loaded question. Yeah, I know it is. Here's the thing. Um, One thing I think I liked about getting a small business loan and something that I had to leverage things that I own yeah. was that it really keeps you accountable. Yeah. It's not like money your dad put in or something, right? Sure. It's it's something that like someone's counting on you to pay this back yeah. and it's for real. It's real life now. And um, that's why I, you know, when you're trying to come up with money, friends and family is scary to me because I would never want to lose a friend or family it member's just, it, money. Yeah, it means something altogether different. And it's back to that appetite thing again. Like if that's something you can do that you can mm-hmm. look at your face or yourself in the mirror and say, I can do this and I feel okay about this, then perhaps it's for you. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people skip that step mm-hmm. and go right to the oh, there's money right there. There's right. a pile sitting right there. All I have to do is ask. And they mm-hmm. forget about what it actually means for the relationship, for the um, the opportunity even. Are you going to pay that back? Is it truly a loan? Is it an investment and they're taking a share of the company? Do you now at every holiday need to listen to exactly. dad's advice? Like, what does that actually mean? So I think it's back to that appetite thing again. Like, right. what really know what you can what you can handle. Yeah. So, but to answer the question yeah. about like where where you get this money from, so I think there are so many creative avenues that I didn't really think to explore early on. Um, and for example, in manufacturing, um, this happened when we were starting to work on our second product, the industrial design firm that I had engaged to design the Lala Cup. Yeah, you know, I I said they took a chance, huge chance on us, and he told me when we finished out that project, like I gave this to you at a steal and because I really believed in you and this product and, but I do, I just want you to know that the next product, um, it's going to be back to regular price. And yeah. so I thought, okay, well, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And so when I had that meeting with him for the second product, sure enough, that price tag was more than triple, I think. Wow. And an interesting thing that the CEO of that design firm proposed to me was he said, well, I'd be willing to do it for equity in your company. And I declined that offer at the time. But um, thinking back, I think when you don't even know if your business is going to succeed, not that, you know, you always want to believe in yourself and your endeavors. But I think it's not a bad idea to offer, you know, small percentages here and there to key people. Yeah. So someone who can really add value. Exactly. So someone like had I given this industrial designer five to 10 percent early on and said, but you need to just help me design every product for free. um, 
that could have served me well. Sure, sure. <laughs> I and just didn't think of it at the time. No, and I think in those early years, people tend to hang on to, I want 100%. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's 100% of what? Exactly. 100% of 10 units is is only mm-hmm. 10 units versus, you know, 80% of 1,000 units. So I think units being money, whatever right, those right. are, or what those units are. So I think it's really understanding that. But it's hard in that, in that yeah. you, because you don't know what it is that you actually have in your hand until it's fully mm-hmm. created. So let's get into Shark Tank because I, okay. I know that's something that um, has been important for you guys and I think our listeners care a lot about. Like, how do you get on Shark Tank? And, and, you know, how did you not just get on but then be, you know, how were you chosen by two of the sharks, which I think is really impressive. So tell us about that process, deciding to be on the show, actually getting on the show, and then getting two sharks to invest in you. Okay. So when I, we, so Mark and I got our first manufacturing run, brought it into our living room. We were sitting there assembling and my good friend and photographer now, um, she said, hey, there's this new show about entrepreneurship you should watch. So we would watch the show in its first season while we were assembling Lala Cups in our living room. And I think three months about a month and a half to two months into our business, we thought, you know what, why don't we try out for this show? Because, I mean, we've really only sold like a thousand cups somehow. And um, who knows what this is going to become. So let's just take a chance and do it. So we go on abc.com and we're looking at how to apply. And I mean, (laughs) literally, it said there was a casting call in Studio City the next day. So Did, was that like a, okay, this, it was like, yeah, this is this. meant so, to be. Yeah, yeah. So we stayed this. up till maybe one in the morning, filling out the 35 page application, which oh, they wow. said you had to have in hand when you get in line in the 35 morning. 35 is a number for you. The business plan, I know, the I, application. It really is. It really is something like 30. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Range. So we fill out this long application and stay up all night, arrange childcare. And we get in line at 7am in Studio City. And we waited in line for maybe seven hours and finally got seen and just moved through the ranks that way. I mean, (laughs) and then somehow, like somehow, yeah, it just, we just kept moving forward. Um, And one thing that's really funny is that we got even a tape date. So we were supposed to appear in front of the sharks and do our pitch and everything. And all of a sudden the producer calls us and says, you know what, you've been dropped and moved as an alternate. And I thought, what? Uh, like you dragged us along for, yeah. you know, three months now and now <laughs> you're saying this. But Mark and I just said, look, let's just make them regret that decision. And we just stayed in the loop and just kept in touch with our producer and said, hey, we're here. Culver City is not that far. If anything happens, like we're on yeah, call. We can be right there. So we did that and we taped. And um, I think, you know, it's funny because I think both Mark and Robert, they still say they invest in the people. A lot of times it's not like, oh, this is going to be my idea. I think they really saw that we were both put everything on the line for this and we were really committed and serious. And again, after we made the deal and shook hands on TV, um, there's a due diligence process after, right? The attorneys reach out to you and they want to know everything about your finances and open up your books about the business. So does that mean that after that process, you can then be denied? Yes. Okay. And so actually a lot of businesses yeah. don't make it through the due diligence process. I would process. think, right, because you could be yeah. saying anything up there. Exactly. It's TV. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, three weeks after we taped 
shook hands with Mark Cuban and Robert Herjavec, um, we get a call from Mark Cuban's attorney. And he's like, you know, these are the things we need from you. And it was everything. I mean, they I'm wanted sure. to know everything about, yeah. we, you know, the past five years tax returns, um, what cars we were leasing and driving, you know, just every wow. little detail. And um, again, that business plan served just well because they were like, you guys are the most buttoned up entrepreneurs we've ever encountered on Shark Tank. And they still say that. Like, But that doesn't surprise me in that I think, and, and I mean this with all due respect, and I myself am an entrepreneur, so I could be bashing myself, but I don't think for the most part, entrepreneurs are buttoned up types. They tend to be uh, visionary people. They tend to be um, driven by ideas. They tend to be really resilient and work hard types. But sometimes that leaves the buttoned up piece out. And I know just from being a consultant for all these years, that it is an anomaly when, when I get a client who stays on top of their work, who is following up with the things that we said, the, the goals that we set out for, um, who is really keeping pace with what's going on financially in the business as well as the, the dreaming up new ideas. And so I can actually imagine that for them to see you guys as two buttoned up people in a sea of perhaps not very many buttoned up people, mm -hmm. that it, the risk they'd be willing to take on you is is minimized. They're like, what? Hannah and Mark, they're, they're our poster children for what we'd like all these. <laughs> Maybe you could offer them like a video series to give out to Shark Tanks on what, what to do or, you know, um. or, or what not to do when you're on Shark Tank. <laughs> Um, I want to cut of that if that actually, if that goes anywhere. Um, so tell us after Shark Tank, like what was that? You got accepted, you're, you, you know, you have two sharks investing in you. What changed in the business? I think what changed was it really uh, gave us this national exposure for free. I, I'm I mean, yeah. not free. We gave up 40% of our company. It's yeah. not, it wasn't free. Yeah. And three <laughs> we, months just to get there. And, yeah. yeah. And um, I don't do, I don't regret it. I, we, it was a great experience. Again, I had been, I don't want to say peddling lollicas, but I was literally driving door to door to these boutiques in LA every day going, please like, just put this on your counter. If it sells, call me and place an order. Yeah. And people were laughing me out the door and it was, it's, it was a difficult three months to just make a sale, right? Yeah. So for us to go on Shark Tank and have these billionaires validate our business and our product and our vision was huge. I would think that that three months of peddling and having people laugh at you and, and combat whatever your offer was probably prepared you for Shark Tank because oh, you, knew, you knew exactly what questions were coming. You knew how to... Um, respond to what the market need and want was because you'd been listening to these people. Mm -hmm. So I think the maybe again one of the takeaways there is don't not pedal. Don't don't miss that those early years um or those that early season of really going door to door and knocking and listening and hearing. And I think some people that off the bat raise VC funding and go for it miss miss that whole season of their business where mm -hmm. they're really able to listen to what the the market wants. Um, and it's probably a big part of your success as much as it was 
a pain in the ass, I'm sure, <laughs> for you. I'm sure, I'm sure it, it lent to that success. Um, how long had you been selling only the Lala Cup? Because that's what you went to Shark Tank with, correct? Yes. So how long had you been really focused on that product alone before you expanded into what we now know as La La Land with the, all the products that you have? It was a long, I want to say two and a half to three years. Okay. And a lot of that was because, so Mark Cuban became an investor in our company, I think officially probably, I don't know, nine months into, like the, from the date we first started selling the Lala Cup. And we had, you know, on one conversation, we were just telling him, like, we have all these ideas for expansion. And he said, hold on, sell what you know is selling right now and sell the hell out of it. And when you've exhausted that, and only when you've exhausted that, and you've built a solid distribution channel, then you can start dreaming up your new products. And he really like put the kibosh on our um, expansion plans early on. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that that's the correct route for everybody. Sure. It was it's, what it's he not, But it's what he recommended. Advice, yeah. And I think it did help keep us in business. Because had we just started spewing out things when no one even knew what a yeah. Lala Cup was and we were trying to sell all this other stuff, I, I don't know that it... I don't know that it would have really helped in any way or added anything to our business. I think there's a lot to say um, in any business to just stay focused mm -hmm. and and have the audience get to know you for that thing, exactly. whatever that thing is, and yeah. then expanding after. And often we we see people who seem to be an overnight success who have multiple offerings, whatever that is, and we realize that there was 10 years of doing just one thing mm -hmm. before that overnight and I, those are air quotes, but you can't see them. <laughs> but before that overnight success actually happened. Yep. Um, okay, so from the outside, three adorable daughters, a marriage that's intact, a business, more than intact, thriving. <laughs> um, sorry, Mark. Um, uh, you know, lots of press opportunities, um, a business that's, that's thriving, been on Shark Tank, picked up by two sharks, continued relationship with them. Um, it seems as though you've arrived. Would you and Mark, or do you and Mark ever sit down, go out to dinner, go to a Lakers game? I know he's a big <laughs> Lakers fan. And just say, oh my gosh, we did it. We're here. No, we never say that. And it's so funny that you're asking me this right now because we just had a really difficult conversation um, that went along the lines of, we have everything. I mean, we have a great marriage. Like our kids are phenomenal. We love them to death. We have family and great friends. Um, and yet this business is still like not where we want it to be. And that's not, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, like that's okay. Because <laughs> um, we're still working at it and it's like a work in progress. But no, we have not arrived and we never have that attitude because it's nowhere near where we both envision this company to be. Yeah. And so. I think in fairness, even people who aren't working for themselves um, would probably have a hard time answering that question saying, yeah. do I feel like I've arrived? You know, no, I hope there's a, a long way to go. And even if I've hit a goal or a mark that I had set for myself early on, that's now changed mm -hmm. and I'm reaching for something else. Exactly. Um, so 
I, I'm happy to hear that. And I think those really honest words will actually encourage a lot of people. So thank you for that. So now my favorite part of the interview, not that your story is not my favorite part, Hannah, but I love um, when we get to ask kind of the, the what should we do? What were the tips and resources that you wished somebody had given to you along the way? And I actually inserted a lot of that in the beginning because I think you had some real nuggets in there. But um, I know our audience wants to hear from you and, and get kind of your wisdom on some things. So let's start with there's no luxury or shortage of luxury baby brands in the market. And many of our listeners are considering or already they're currently in um, a product or service that is saturated. What do you say to them, um, again, using the parallel of the, the baby business, um, when it comes to looking at a saturated market? What do they look for? What sh- how should they distinguish themselves? Give us some advice. I think uh, knowing what differentiates your product, and it could be something very minute, a small detail that really differentiates your product or service from the others could be that, you know, aha thing um, for your brand. And and that's what it was for Lala Cup. And it, it was semi-intentional. So I don't know if your listeners might know, but the Sophie the Giraffe was super hot when my daughter was born and when I was coming up with this Lala Cup and I thought... This is that like it toy that every celebrity is holding. Um, every mom is gifting it tenfold at every baby shower. And so I thought. And it was international. It was international. Yeah. And I read something that it was like, I think it was in the LA Times that it was Sophie the Giraffe was an affordable luxury. It was like, oh, yes. Yes, it's a teether that costs $24. But for $24, any Joe Schmo could have the same thing that a Kardashian yeah. is carrying, yeah. or, you know, yeah. whoever it be. So I, I thought, Mark, like, I want to do that for the sippy cup. Like, I want my sippy cup to be in the hands of celebrities and for moms to feel like, yeah, I too am I've arrived. at this level. Yeah, I've arrived. <laughs> yeah. I have the best so, sippy cup there is. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I'm a big proponent of sort of practical gifting. Yeah. And that was me. Like, I, I just, I didn't need another ridiculous onesie or whatever it was, like a big hair bow. Like, I just wanted something that's cute and practical that I could gift and or I would love to receive. And I think every kid needs a sippy cup. And if it's cute and well-packaged, like, why couldn't it be a gift? Because people really weren't thinking of sippy cups and plates and stuff as giftable things. Sure. But when it has a higher price point and it's well designed, mm-hmm. then of course you exactly. would consider getting and, it. As a and gift. we still manufacture all our feeding products here in the US. And that's a huge selling point because, yeah. you know, parents love that peace of mind. I mean, Absolutely. I drive to my factory every other week. That's amazing, and, actually. And I think even that is another point of distinction. So you had both the affordable luxury piece, but also the, what is the audience that I'm serving clamoring for and made in America is a big mm-hmm. piece. And then of course you had the safety exactly. issues that you were talking about. So kind of on multiple levels, you were able to distinguish yourself. Um, when people are considering manufacturing a product, what should they be looking for? And you talked about the design team you worked with early on, but what should they be looking for in terms of working with a vendor or a manufacturing partner? Like what do we steer clear of and what do we move quickly toward? 
I think you want to steer clear of manufacturers who overpromise. Um, manufacturing is a very difficult process, and you know, even that, even going from design to manufacturing and the actual product is there are huge roadblocks because these designers have these amazing things they come up with. And then you take that CAD file to a manufacturer and they're like, this physically can't be done. Yeah. Like you physically can't make this. And then you're screwed. You've paid the designer $25,000 to design this amazing thing that actually can't be made. Um, so I think, I, you know, just really talking to as many people as you can if there's any one piece of advice, if you're going to go into manufacturing, just pick up the phone and call and ask. And um, that goes a long way. Sure. Just because you always have to learn, especially if you haven't been in the space. Um, that's one thing that if I had to do everything over again, I would just be calling up having every yeah. manufacturer I know and just asking the same questions, just trying to understand the process. Um and there's mm -hmm. human beings on the other side of those calls. Exactly. So you never know. I mean, you're going to get the grumpy one that doesn't want to say anything, but you never know when you hit the gem who's sharing all kinds of information mm -hmm. that can really benefit you. So it sounds like just doing your homework right. um, in the same way that if you were uh, we're in the middle of a contract job on our house, you know, how long does it take to, to interview those people and mm -hmm. get the best that you can? Um or even I think of weddings, how much time people spend and <laughs> making calls on how many bakers do you really need to like interview for your wedding cake? But I think it's that sort of tenacity exactly. that is probably needed. That's that's great. Um, anything that um, you would say, if you find a manufacturer that does this, really, really stick with them. Um, I would say a manufacturer who's willing to let you try small quantities, see if they can deliver. Which is probably hard. And then it, it's hard. Yeah. But, you know, I think there are those manufacturers that are looking to really partner with you long term. And, or let me just make a quick buck and I don't care what happens to this, this girl in my case. Um, right. There, there are two types of manufacturers. We just got extremely, not lucky. I had met and interviewed a ton of manufacturers and I just really something about this one family owned factory really resonate, resonated, resonated with yeah. me. But, you know, they were willing, I think they said you can make 3000 cups and let's see how it goes. We don't know. Is that a small order? That is a small order. Okay. Yes. In okay. plastics manufacturing, that's a small order okay. because it takes them almost two days to get your molds up and the plastics sure. purged. And it's, it's a lot of work to just get one job on the line and 3000 cups on their machines they could make in one day. Wow. But so, that them being willing to bet on you early on, mm -hmm. um, probably paid off yeah. for them. Yeah. We're still working the with relationship. them. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we've talked a little bit about your relationship with Mark and how that can be hard. And we're hoping to get a little bit, uh, hear a little bit from <laughs> Mark. So we're going to go get him. 
So Beth, our producer, just went out to get Mark, who's the other half of this awesome couple. And I just wanted to, because it's really unusual to have a married couple who will share honestly um, what it takes to be business partners. I wanted to hear a little bit from you, Mark. Uh, We got to hear from Hannah, and it was all great, so don't blow it. I want you to have a nice (laughs) Friday night. But um, And then also maybe give a few words of wisdom to those people who are considering, who are married, who are considering a partnership. Maybe if you are like this, maybe this is not a good idea. (laughs) Right. Um, I think the decision to work together was easier because our foundation was strong. Um, It's kind of like having a child where sometimes couples are standing on shaky ground. They say, well, if we have a kid or if we have a dog, maybe things will get better. Um, Which never It's exactly the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think because of that, um, you really want to sort out those things first and say, okay, if there are things left unsaid or there are things that maybe you didn't properly communicate, and that's, I think, the biggest word, is to really communicate what, you know, any things that you kind of have left unsaid uh, to solve those things first before even considering working together because there's no bigger roller coaster than starting a business and... Um, if, uh, if you don't have that all put away, then you're going to really, really run into some serious issues. And the unfortunate part is I think that I can see how working together could cause problems that you didn't even have before, Yeah. you know? And so, um, because of that, I just, just ultra sensitive. Um, so yeah, I think that's the advice I would give. So maybe you don't know going into it that, there are pending issues. So what do you do as they come up? Like, do you and Hannah tend to, and I'm asking really, I'm not trying to like dissect your relationship as much as have you guys give advice to the listener. So you can, you can act like this is really happened to you, Mm -hmm. or you can just give us third party advice. So is, is it necessary to be really like having these intense conversations and really making sure you're communicating um, on a weekly basis, do you have monthly check-ins, or what would your advice be for somebody who's married who maybe they're they are considering launching or they're in business and they've hit a little bit of a hiccup? Like, what's your go-to solution for communicating? Um, you know, as kind of talkative as I am, I think that. Like Hannah's a little better. She's a little bit more when things are just bothering her, she can just straight up say it. I tend to kind of hold things in a little longer yeah. and then they kind of fester a little yeah. bit and then and then it come, it might come out wrong. Um, I don't think there's really one way or one solution. I think it is just, you know, for some people that constant communication really works. Um, for some people, they just need big monthly like powwows. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, I think it's, it requires discipline to say we need to do it in some shape or form because if you let things go over, I think even a month, that's when things become unrepairable. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, there's no, there's no such thing where it's completely unrepairable. But you know, if you dig yourself in a deep enough hole, sometimes it's it's pretty much hard to get out of that. Yeah, um, and that's not just in business, but that's in every relationship in general, right? And so the more you kind of let things slide or you don't say it, you tend to just kind of ignore it or or just let it go. Um, So that's why I would would say if there's any kind of marker, it's just don't let anything pass a month um, where you didn't say, 
you know, this is bothering me or why aren't we doing this or how can we address this? And as much as you can take emotion out of it, and I know that's hard because uh, anyone that's run a business knows it's a very emotional thing. I mean, yeah. watch any show, uh, The Profit, Shark Tank or whatever, and yeah. the entrepreneurs are crying. And at first I would say, why are you crying? Like, yeah. this business, there's no crying in <laughs> it's business. It's baby. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, at, at this juncture, I... I could probably cry on a dime. It's that hard. Yeah, we right? won't make you cry. We, don't we make will not cry. make you cry. Don't make me cry. So it's a very, very intense emotional thing. And as you can see in any time, whether it be sports or whatever, when it's that emotional, things can go bad, yeah. you know, because people can and come out wrong. wrong and come out wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you can figure out a way to say this is not personal, we both want the same thing. We're both totally imperfect. We're both. Yeah totally making decisions that we have no idea what the outcome is. And if you can allow for mistakes and all those kind of things, then you're just kind of on the right path. Now, if you're kind of holding people to it, like, well, you said this and, you know, you know, you're wrong. And I told you and I proved it Who's to gonna you. Who's going to win this one? Yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you both lose. And so. That's good. That, yeah. That's good. And I like that really solid, like, don't go past a month. I yeah. like that because there are people <laughs> who are listening who are like, that guy Mark just said, don't go past him on. <laughs> he was on Shark Tank, so we'll do whatever he says. Do you want to add anything to that, Hannah? I mean, you shared a lot about kind of your thoughts on what worked and what didn't, but I didn't want to not give you a chance. Is there any, is there a, a scenario in which you'd see people in a relationship who you'd say, I, maybe you guys might not want to go into business together? And maybe it's they're super sensitive based on what you just said, or there's a lack of respect for one another. And so one thing I think is that um, entrepreneurship in general, like if, if you want to do it, you have to realize that you're going to have to pivot all the time yeah. and change and learn and grow. And it's this like ever shifting job yeah. <laughs> and career. And I think it goes that also translates to your mentality and your relationships as well, because for us, um, I'd say, you know, we've changed the way we talk to each other every month. Like sometimes there's just one little thing that may bother us and we just, you know, flush it out and then it's great. It's like, Mark, do you want me to tape up this box? Because I will just tell me, you know, <laughs> and I think it's a lot about just communicating and learning to be resilient personally too, not taking things personally and just saying, okay, you know what? he's asking me to do this. It's not that he's feeling underappreciated or this or that. It's just, it's, it's business. Sure. You know? I think everything you've said too um, is great advice for just partners in general in business. Um, I think obviously you're talking about going home and then raising children and, you know, having to sit across the dinner table from one another. So it's, it takes it to another level, but there's not anything that you've said here that I wouldn't say applies to business partners in general, communicating on a regular basis, um, not taking things personally. It is business, making sure that you both have the bottom line in mind and, and the bottom line is not just money, you know, mm -hmm. but the goal of the, the company, what are we really trying to achieve here? And money is, usually a part of it, but it's not always the whole goal. Mm -hmm. So um, I appreciate I appreciate your words. And I think our listeners will really glean from them as well. Well, I think another one more thing is that yeah. just to be very mindful and respectful, because um, I remember just a conversation I had this morning with another mom, I, and, and I think moms and parents tend to do it a lot. Like, 
they don't even have a child. Like what, why are they so busy? Like pretend you have a business partner who, you know, is a single person and you have a family and, and it's hard to see eye to eye and really feel like, is everybody putting in their part or doing their part? Um, but just being respectful of people's life situations, their life, what you have on your plate, you just don't know, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. You don't know. And that is good advice for employees too, Mm -hmm. right? You just don't know what they've got going on. And, um, part of your job as an entrepreneur, it's not just developing this brand, but it's also really, um, you're cultivating a culture and a company and making sure that everybody in it is, is there's nobody that's toxic and, and the people that are there are, are the kinds of people that are going to take you guys to the next level. So it's not just in partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. It bleeds out into all of your HR, if right. you will. Right. Um, let me ask while we're on that really quickly, having you both in the room. So you're in manufacturing. There's a male and there's a female part um, of this business. You both go into a meeting, right? And it, let's say it's with a manufacturer and they're addressing one of you. Who do they address? Who do, who's the go-to? Um, I think they usually address me just, yeah. you know. No, um, let's keep it real. We love yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think it, it is one of those things where they'll address me. But from the beginning, we've been, Hannah's the one that's the innovator. Hannah's the one that designed the product. I'm clearly the back end. Yes, you know, we both have a say in what happens. So uh, I think our unique, our situation's a little unique. They might address me and then I'll look at Hannah and she, she's very capable of answering herself. Sure. And, I, and I make it clear to anyone that we deal with is you're not, this is not your typical couple. Hannah can handle herself. And so if you have a question that might address something in our company, go ahead and look at her too. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, yes, to answer your question, they do look at me first. doesn't bother me. doesn't offend me. And I don't think and Hannah has thick, thick enough skin to not get hurt by it. So it is what it is. But when you're dealing with us, you're dealing with both of us. And so. Well, what's unique about our situation was that early on, um, I did all of that. I, I was the only one at the factory morning, noon, and night, like when we were first developing the product and starting the molds. So I basically lived in that factory for a long time. So they all know me very well. But the, And they also know that I transitioned that role to Mark. Like, mm-hmm. And I think there's that difference there that, yes, they address him because now they know that he is handling production and all of that and the business side. And I'm doing more of the new product stuff and um so i don't know that it's it's like a gender issue or anything it's just more it's they know how our business has changed so it sounds like you would say then to a woman who doesn't have a male partner you can it's really about them seeing you show up seeing you Mm -hmm. kind of take on that role developing that respect um, in you, it's not necessarily the case that, as a rule, manufacturing is a man's game. No, okay. and I think That's one helpful. thing that, I mean, I don't even know. I I think to this day they probably really were unhappy with the way I sort of babysat them in the beginning because I just felt like a week would go by and they hadn't worked on my stuff, and so I said, you know what, I'm just I'm gonna be 
I don't care if I'm at the bleachers outside where people are taking their smoking breaks, but I'm going to be there every day from nine to five um, until you get this done. And that's what I did. I mean, I was probably there at least, I mean, it was 50 mile drive. So, wow, almost every day for a long time. And so they really got to know me and they knew how serious I was. <laughs> More <laughs> than they wanted to. Yeah. No, no, no. And a lot of times they're like, Hannah, there's nothing that's going to happen today. But I was like, I don't care. I just want you to know that I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. I care. Yeah. And by the way, I've just invested like yeah. a crud load of money exactly. into this. Like this has to happen. Yeah. This, I got to make this thing count. Um, so I'm going to ask you... Uh, one last question um, for both of our listeners and you can eat or for our listeners and you can both answer. Um, what is one kind of parting entrepreneurial advice you would like to pass on to those people who are considering entrepreneurship or in the throes of it and feeling a little defeated maybe? Like what's one thing you'd like to say, just encouraging word or a bit of advice? I, I have... Um... I have two little tidbits. Yeah, please. Um, definitely do your homework. Uh, I wish we did a little more as we were heading into this. Um, and by that, I mean, there are some retailers that we got to know before we even started this project. I should have lived there. I should have been there. I should have asked him, you know, what was the next steps for these brands? What caused them to succeed? What are the other products that came in, did a good job, and where are they now? Why are they, why are they not in your store? Um, I should have clung on to a few more manufacturers, took them out to drinks, you know, like wow. got to know, gotten to know them more and asked them point blank, what were your struggles and what did you face? Some of the questions that I get asked now when I'm helping out young brands and I think, gosh, I wish I asked those questions. Yeah. I wish I kind of found out more um, before we made the mistakes that we've made. Um, secondly, I think what we're learning now uh, five or six years into the game is the discipline to um, replan and then stick to it, right? And so, yeah, we wrote a great business plan, or Hannah Hannah headed that that part of a, up, and we stuck to that for a few years, but we didn't revisit it early enough. Um, and that's what a business plan is. It's just a snapshot of what your mm -hmm. plan is at that moment. Mm -hmm. It's a living, breathing document. <laughs> she right? was talking about that, and yeah. So, so Thanks you go, for validating, right, Mark. Yeah. Right. So you go back to it before three years pass and you say, what has changed and what's in front of us? You know, um, perfect example for us is our kind of distribution model. We really, really wanted to be in independent specialty boutiques. You're Barney's New York, you're Fred yeah. Siegel's, and we achieved that. Um, and that was our big focus. But moms and dads were going to Amazon. Yeah. And that's where everything was headed. And we saw that. But did we do everything to act on it? No, I give us a good C minus D. Yeah. Um, had we been more proactive at the three-year mark when we started to see this trend, I think we could have been a lot better off now. Um, and what is that? That requires discipline to say, hey, let's stop filling these orders. Let's stop answering these emails. Let's stop with the bank reconciliations. Let's sit down in this room, lock ourselves up for about eight hours for the next two days. Where are we? Where are we right now? Where's our health? Where are we going? Hmm. And that requires discipline. It's hard. Um, I can go 90 days just grinding and never thinking yeah. about what's in front of me in the next six months. And it goes like a snap. Yep. So 25% of this year is over and I'm freaking out. Um, 
But, you know, it's that urgency. That's why I think we're making more kind of calculated decisions now. Sure. That's so good. And we want to hear from Hannah too, but thank you so much for the honesty. Um, Again, I can't tell you enough. Often people think, oh, we're here on this podcast. We want to inspire your listeners. And I always say you inspire them by telling the truth because then they understand Again, if they if this is something they're willing to to do, and if they're in the midst of it, what they need to do, and um, you and Hannah have both said in different ways, pivoting is important, and you've both said you would have had more conversations, and so I think um, hearing that in, in said in different ways and at different points in the interview will really have an impact on on the listener. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? I think my one piece of advice is, you know entrepreneurship is a lot about kind of going with your gut or this this feeling but um make sure that you are making calculated decisions that um your risks can be backed up yeah. in some way yeah <laughs> yeah and i don't know it's not like one perfect sentence but it's i i think looking back we've been doing a lot of self reflection and you know, there were several years and several things that we made really good decisions on. And like they were very, for example, moving into this space, this warehouse, it wasn't until we had spent something like $100,000 in that year outsourcing our shipping and for fulfillment to a fulfillment center that we said, wait a minute, if we got our own warehouse and hired someone full time, would we actually be saving money? And so that was a very calculated move for us, right? And But I can't say that we did that for everything. You know, there were times where we we had an opportunity to make a new product and we said, you know what, let's just, let's do it. And it wasn't probably the best decision, but I think we're, we're learning a better balance between like going with your gut, listening to your intuition, and also yeah. um, doing your homework and making sure everything, all the ducks are in a row. And I think it's a, it's not one or the other, I yeah. think is what you're saying. Exactly. It's a combination. Yes. Make sure you've done your homework, make sure you've done the math and listen to your gut, yes. <laughs> but it don't go on your gut alone. Yeah, exactly. Your gut alone can't always inform the decision that needs to be made. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is, um, we're going to switch it up. You guys have been so great and so honest and I appreciate it, but we want to end on like a really fun, okay. playful note. So this is what we call our <laughs> quick six. So I'll ask, I'll go back and forth. Um, I'll, I'll ask the question and then you guys each answer really quickly. So your preferred schedule, nine to five or flex? Uh, flex. Hannah? I'm more nine to five. (laughs) (laughs) And now we see how the marriage works. Um, okay. Vacation in the mountains or beach? Ooh, I'm, I'm about the beach. Yeah. I'm mountains. You guys vacation together, right? Yes, we do. Okay, okay, okay. Just and we checking. do both, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. That's how you made it work. Um, okay, work from home or office? Office. Office. Yeah. Yeah, especially with three little ones and all the crazy mm-hmm. of home. Um, okay, work alone or with a team? There's only one way to answer yeah. this, by the way, we're Mark. Definitely with a team. <laughs> okay. Definitely with a team. Team. Yeah, okay. Um, and then my favorite one, possibly the hardest one, Ty or Mexican? Ooh, I'd have to go tie there. Okay. Tie. Yeah, okay, mine too. And then this one, I'm actually, we always hear from women on this, but Mark, it'll be interesting to hear from you. So Liberty Sessions is the name of this podcast. We're hoping to liberate through entrepreneurship. What does it mean to be liberated for you? 
what does it mean mean to be liberated? liberated. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I guess just to be totally free to do whatever I want when I want and how I want. Yeah. I guess that's what it means to me. Yeah. yeah. Hannah. For me, it means uh, having a choice. So in anything, yeah. I mean, if I choose to have uh, four Tire cups of Mexican. coffee a day, then <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. my choice. I'm liberated yeah. and I can do it. So just, you know, yeah, being able to choose whatever I want when I want. That's awesome. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks for sharing a little bit of um, your life and both personal and professional. Um, I'm excited for everybody to hear this interview and decide whether as a married couple they should or shouldn't enter into this venture. Um, And we will be um, sharing all of your uh, social media handles and your website information. So our listeners will have all of that on the website. But really quickly, until um, until we get to post that, it's La La Land, L-O-L-A-L-O-L-L-A-L-A-N-D.com. I'll say it one more time, L-O-L-L-A-L-A-N-D.com. Thanks a lot, Hannah and Mark. We appreciate having you. You're welcome. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot, as evidenced here. See you next week. Thank you.